1: Welcome one, welcome all to the Court of the Trashy Royals, where we assemble each week to reveal and revel in the tales of our betters behaving badly. My name is Stacy, and Alicia, you're going to take us through the next part of the life of Eleanor of Aquitaine, now becoming the Queen of England, having ditched King Louis and marrying Henry II, or
0: future Henry II. Future Henry II, it's all happening. Hi friends, Alicia here. We are here for part two of Eleanor. And yes, in this episode, Eleanor is freshly married to the future King Henry II of England. Young, fresh, energetic, tall, sexy, good in battle, taking on the legacy of his grandfather, Henry I. Don't forget, Henry II has the powerful backing of his mother, Empress Matilda, behind him. Henry II taking over control. Castles are being destroyed, so nobles can't stand against him, so take measure of what you think taking control is. But Henry would have been remembered as a better king, maybe even a terrific king, except for perhaps you might have heard of an infamous little murder that happens to one Sir Thomas Beckett. That's not Henry's only crime in hmm. this episode. Before we begin today's tale, we do have a few good nobles to thank for lending us a little bit of financial support, supporting Trashy Royals over at patreon.com slash Trashy podcast. It's the easiest Patreon in the world. Two bucks a month will get you every episode early and ad free. We dig it a lot. And so do. Thank you so much to Dina, Maggie D, Nancy P, Michael R, and Chelsea W. So grateful to all of y'all, big thanks, and all of our Patreon supporters, and you, coming for today's Naughty Nobles Plural, oh my. Let us anon to the next section of Eleanor of Aquitaine, the 12th century woman who won't be stopped.
1: Should tell me more about the audacious Eleanor
0: of Aquitaine. Eleanor. When she was married to Louis, she had a first mother in law, Adelaide. But there's no more Adelaide. Eleanor is out of France. Welcome to England and her new mother in law, Empress Matilda. Eleanor doesn't really have a lot of luck with mother in laws, as it turns out. But here's Eleanor. Let's go with she's 30. We'll say she's 30. Married to the sexy new king. And the two of them are uniting their lands together. Maybe Eleanor's had a little fling with Empress Matilda's husband, Geoffrey of Anjou, who could predict that it was not going to go all that great. But in 1154, yay, Cousin Steve is dead. Sure. And Cousin Steve's son is now dead too. Remember, he mysteriously died the day Eleanor gives birth to her first child by Henry. Interesting. So here come, riding triumphantly in, Eleanor and Henry. This is our first Plantagenet king and queen. The Plantagenets are going to rule England for the next 330 years. Long time coming, long time gone. Now remember, Empress Matilda, Henry's mother, had tried in her own right to claim power a few decades ago. But who's ever heard of a woman doing that? Here, Empress Matilda won't claim the throne, but she does claim it for her son, Henry. And here, Empress Matilda is like, hooray, I can finally be queen. I have been waiting a very, very, very long time to be queen, and now I'm going to do it through my son naturally. This Eleanor lady, pish posh. No one needs to pay too much attention to Eleanor, I am Empress Matilda, I am the king's mother. I finally have what I want. Leave Eleanor alone. Let's not forget that it is Eleanor's lands, holdings, wealth, monetary power that contribute to Henry's to make up a considerable portion of what is now this new empire and all this new power that Henry has. Eleanor's holdings have doubled Henry's holdings. In France. And Eleanor is kind of okay with being neglected for a minute because she is paying attention to her other job as queen that thankfully Empress Matilda can't do for her son. <laughs> Otherwise, she'd try. That's the production of heirs. You got it. Eleanor not wasting any time. You thought Queen Victoria got busy? Wait on this. Eleanor, after being married to Louis with only two daughters, reason for the annulment, right? Eleanor in 15 years has eight children. Wow. So she's a mother of 10 total. Mother of 10 total. Wow. Eleanor is the grandmother of Europe. You thought Victoria did it? Nah, dude. (laughs) Queen Vix has taken lessons from Eleanor. We're going to talk more about her progeny in next week's episode. But the thing you want to know is that Eleanor is mothering dynasties here. She has a lot of sons. She has a lot of daughters. Eleanor is putting herself in the best situation possible by having as many children as she can. Henry understands Eleanor's power. Sometimes she'll act as regent if he's out in battle, but as, come on, Eleanor's been married to two kings of Europe. Through this next section, Eleanor is going to birth three future kings of England and two daughters that will be queens in Europe as well. Her grandchildren rule Europe for a long time. But let's go down this list very quick. Eight kids, 13 years. The first five of those all happen in six years. That is just a lot of being pregnant. That is. I'm just, I'm exhausted thinking about the number of pickles and ice cream. I'm just kidding. All right. Six kids, five years. Holy cats. William, Henry, Matilda, Richard, Jeffrey. Those are the first five. Six years. Another three are going to come. Eleanor, Joanna, and a final son, John, the baby. I don't want to get too much into the kids right now, but do know Eleanor is... Fulfilling her duty as queen. Baby having and child rearing keeps Eleanor very busy. And thanks to her mother-in-law, Empress Matilda, the state is run. Henry has a helpmate. Eleanor is, you know, otherwise distracted. Eleanor always has opinions, just like her mother-in-law, Empress Matilda. But Eleanor isn't getting to share too many of them at this time. Okay. Now, during these childbearing and child-raising years, let's go back and mention the one of the reasons why Henry II is not very well remembered and get back to one Thomas Beckett. Let's check in on the Henry II administration and how that's going because, wow. It is always a dangerous job to be the hand of the king. You and I have watched multiple seasons of <laughs> Games of Thrones to sure. know this. Hand of the King, kind of a risky job, so to speak, and in fact, it does go pretty badly for Thomas Beckett. He's remembered in history all these centuries later. What's his story? i go ahead and give as brief of a background as I can on Thomas Beckett. Tommy is going to begin life as the son of a London merchant, and Beckett in his lifetime is going to become a great lord. Also, Chancellor of the Exchequer, as previously discussed. Thomas Beckett is working his way up in the system, so to speak. And day by day, he is wielding greater power. And by the time Henry is Henry II, he aligns with Thomas Beckett. And they are setting into England a more structured form of government. They're making real changes or at least attempting to put something in place so we're not quite so medieval as we were before. The country as a whole is growing more educated. Laws are now being put in place that will soon lead to a trial by jury system. Peasants are solicited for their opinions about the government. Can you imagine being a pollster in the 12th century? (laughs) King Enry. <laughs> I mean, this is good stuff. This oh, sure. is some power to the people stuff. Sure. At least comparatively to the previous Middle Ages, whatever that was. Well, and
1: Cousin Steve was not a particularly
0: well-regarded king, so... Dude, everybody hated Cousin Steve. Like, Cousin Steve was just annoying. Cousin Steve is annoying, but it's... Right, who else is the most annoying power player through every story we talk about? The church. Always. I was going to say the
1: Pope. <laughs>
0: okay. Always the pesky church. And now the church is kind of in the way of Henry doing his power reform. Cause Henry just wants to bust it all up. He's into deregulation and Henry gets this idea. <laughs> I feel like when the church goes up against a King Henry in England, it doesn't go well for the church. <laughs> Not often. Well, this time it doesn't go well for Tommy Beckett. So in 1162, the Archbishop of Canterbury dies. And Henry's like, eh, I've been on the throne eight years. Like, my administration's fine. Eleanor's having babies. And Thomas Beckett has done such a great job at running everything else for me. I'm going to give him the Archbishop of Canterbury job too, which is the most important position in England. Is it? It's like, You're the head of, yeah, the head of the English church. You're the Pope in England, Archbishop of Canterbury. It's a big deal. Henry thinks this is the best idea he's ever had. His mother, Empress Mama Matilda, is a hard no. Son, this is a terrible, terrible idea. Remember Eleanor, who nobody ever listens to anyway? Eleanor's still talking about this. Eleanor is a harder no than Empress Matilda was husband this is a terrible terrible idea because beckett is ambitious and they feel like giving him more power both of the women are smarter than yeah henry ii and they know that thomas beckett's motivation his inner soul motivation is not driven by any kind of loyalty to henry hmm. thomas is being pushed by something else He is very pious. He fanatically commits himself to the church. He likes to punish himself and put mice in his underwear. He's one of the guys that lashes himself with the pain and punishment Mm -hmm. of the church. Sure. The mortification of the flesh. Is that the term? Yeah. Yeah. That he he was Opus Day before yeah, Opus before Day was, it was a cool. Thing. Yeah, so Matilda, Mama Matilda, hard no. Wife Eleanor, hard no. Can you guess how it turns out? It was a terrible idea. So <laughs> Thomas Beckett, once he's appointed as Archbishop of Canterbury, becomes more opposed to Henry the Second than any other bishop. Henry's ever dealt with. Hmm. Everybody in England is like, Thomas Beckett, you need to calm down, dude. You've got to calm down because this isn't like, but he's on his own power trip, right? Everybody is telling Tommy B, we see how this whole head of the Church of England, you know, could be getting to your head, man. Take the mice out of your underwear. You need to calm down. And Thomas Beckett is like, whatever. I'm the holder of all earthly and heavenly power. And it is my belief, and my belief is the one that's really important around this place, is that the church should rule everyone and everything, and that includes the, the king. king. And hey, Thomas Beckett right here, I am the church, so I should be in charge of everything. Turns out that Thomas Beckett is really popular with the people based on his reputation of what's come before. It takes a long time for those 12th century pollsters to get around. News doesn't go quite as fast. So Beckett, still riding on the coattails of a decade ago when Beckett was the champion of the people, but now Beckett is not the champion of the people. Plus he has mice in his underpants. That was the 12th century ants in your pants game (laughs) of our 70s childhood. So let's set the stage here for the 1160s, because politically it is not going great for Henry II. Personally, though, romantically, Henry, who's never been a faithful husband to begin with, and Eleanor, pregnant, so many kids Mm -hmm. all through the decade, When Eleanor is pregnant with their last and final son, the baby John, Henry II falls in love, and her name is Rosamund Clifford. She is known in history as Fair Rosamund. She's the most beautiful woman in Europe, it Hmm. is said. Now, Rosamund's father had served Henry II in the 1160s, and this is how the affair between Rosamund and Henry begins in 1166, when Eleanor is carrying their last child. And certainly, it is absolutely fair that pretty much every king that's ever kinged has affairs, but this one is a little bit different. Henry is head over heels in love with the fair Rosamond, And here, Henry II begins the secret life. A whole secret double life behind the scenes with his mistress Rosamond.
1: does she have like a little cottage yes. and he sets little... her
0: up in a completely separate little garden out front sort of thing and hides her out and has this secret honey nest love life with huh. Rosamond. Now, everything's kept super, super quiet though nobody's spilling the beans because Eleanor is absolutely Henry's wife on paper. She's his diplomatic partner. She's mm-hmm. the mother of his children. Sure. Eleanor doesn't know about this. Henry, secret second life, fair Rosamond, Eleanor in the dark. Am I correct in hearing
1: echoes of Henry Eighth courting Anne Boleyn while married to... A little bit. Long time marriage to Catherine of Aragon. A little bit.
0: When I say that history repeats Uh and rhymes, Eleanor's story contains multitudes that Mm. we are going to see repetitions pop up. Yeah, over and over and over again.
1: Okay, this is fascinating. So uh, another Henry with conflict with the church and head over heels
0: for his mistress. Story as old as time. Yep. Okay, so here we are. Henry, going bad politically, super secret affair with the fair Rosamond. Eleanor, still on paper. But after the birth of the last child, Eleanor is like, Sigh. I'm out of here. I'm going to go back to Aquitaine. Henry, you have screwed this thing up with Thomas Beckett. I've had child number eight. I'm not getting pregnant anymore. And technically, I'm going to go home to Aquitaine to govern in the name of you henry because wowza it is unruly over there <laughs> this is like the first bicoastal couple <laughs> it, it really is because they're Aquitaine is unrest feudal lords because the only one they recognize is eleanor they don't recognize henry so eleanor being a helpmate Last kid, you know what? I'm going to book it on over to France. Settle things down for you, Henry. Mm -hmm. Wink, wink, Henry. I'm doing this all for you, love of my life. These lands have been rebelling against Henry for years, and Eleanor can keep the peace. They want her anyway. So Henry, too, is like, have a good time, Ellie. Thanks. I appreciate you going for me. (laughs) A number one, it gets you out of the way so I can uh-huh. continue carrying on my secret affair with the fair Rosamond. Right. Thanks for not asking what I do on the weekends. Also, Eleanor, you've been such a loyal, faithful wife. You're an extension of me. You're not going to do anything to damage me over an Occitane. See you, Ellie. Thanks for giving me more time to carry on my secret affair. Let the good times roll. This is the late 1160s. We're going to take a break here. And when we come back, we're going to see how it all shakes down. See you on the flip.
1: Hi, this is Rachel Yucatel, and I'm here to invite you to listen to my podcast, Misunderstood with Rachel Yucatel. This podcast delves into the lives of those who have been reduced to a single headline. Each episode will take a closer look at the stories of those who are on a mission to change their narrative. Join me as we uncover the truth behind the misconceptions, shed light on the stories of those who have perhaps been wrongfully portrayed, explore the complexities of the human experience, and celebrate the power of second chances. Who doesn't love a good comeback story? All right, Alicia,
0: what eventful things happen next? So Eleanor, 46 years old, eight kids, headed to Aquitaine. She knows her husband fool's around, but it's never anything too serious. Right. My job here in England is done. I'm going to be middle-aged. I'm going to make a triumphant return to Aquitaine because this is the land of my people. And remember, I have a fancy court here and chivalry and troubadours and, and big cottage core dreams, vinegar, wine, <laughs> all the greatest. Uh, mm-hmm. Eleanor cannot wait to cottage core in this court of love, I am in charge. I am in charge here, Henry. This is, mm-hmm. this is my, this is my town. Okay. Whoa. Running the country is definitely the highlight of Eleanor's career. And Henry thinking that Eleanor is absolutely no threat. Doesn't really pay attention to her. Cause you know, secret affair with Rosamond. Eleanor thinks Henry is certainly no threat to me. Continuing his secret love affair Eleanor, though, (laughs) should always be considered a threat. Here she begins slowly building a power base (laughs) that is going to come into play Mm -hmm. by the time we make it to the 1170s. Eleanor is always making a play. All Eleanor has done since the beginning of time is build power. So from 1168 to about 1173, Eleanor operates what is called a court of love. It's delightful. Chivalry. Troubadours. Poets. She's mentioned all the time in poems. This court of love thing might have been a myth written later, but it comes from somewhere. I like the idea of it, the court of love. Eleanor has a big reputation. That's only one part of the story happening on the back burner. Because now, Eleanor has children who are growing up, and three of them are going to... Become players here. Henry the Young, Richard, and Geoffrey. So by 1169, there's pressure growing on Daddy King Henry to divide up his stuff. His sons are like, Who gets what? Henry the Young is going to get England, Normandy, and Anjou. Richard is going to get Aquitaine. Geoffrey is going to get Brittany. What happens here is that Henry the son of Eleanor and Henry II. He is called the Young King. He is crowned in 1170. Just like, remember those co-kings before? Oh, right. The French tradition. Exactly. This is going, because that's, they're all French. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so crowned in 1170, Henry II is going to crown his younger son, Henry the Young King. He's given titles, but no real power. Henry II isn't giving anything up. But sure, kid, be really chuffed. Here's a title. You're co king of England. Let's have a good time. Well, and I'm going to guess that
1: as the son of Empress Matilda, maybe having that extremely certain line of succession in place. Kind right. Of like a big if, deal. Yeah. if her dad had crowned
0: her as co king. Things might have gone a little different. Mm -hmm. So let's move our timeline up to December 1170. Because it's not just the kids who are making plays for what they want. Henry has other problems. Let's return to the political corner of this story. To one, Thomas Beckett, who is now out of control. Henry II is isolated politically. And here, Henry, it's all coming down around him. Eleanor gaining a power base. Sons can't be stopped. Oh, he's so in love with Rosamond. Why is my life like this? Henry, overwhelmed with it all, says, utters, mutters, those infamous words. Will no one rid me of this turbulent priest? Maybe Henry just needed to go to the bathroom. One of history's great shot calls, I guess. He needed to eat. He Mm -hmm. was a little hangry. Like, give the man some bread and some ale. You know, he just, he's just, he's lamenting out loud. And a few loyal knights Mm -hmm. of Henry's hear this, Will no one rid me of this turbulent priest utterance. And and they think, we should really help our king out. I know how to help. (sighs) Ah. So, there's some knights that travel from Normandy to help their king in 1170, and this handy, really helpful group of knights, instead of bringing, you know, some bread, some ale, instead bring a sword and slice off Sir Thomas Becket's head mm-hmm. in Canterbury Cathedral. That seems bad for one's health. This is a global event. Oh, yeah. Like, for something...
1: They've (laughs) murdered the
0: head of the English church (laughs) off the charts. Uh So where your uh, social media is your word of mouth, it takes a minute. But what? Sir Thomas Beckett beheaded by Henry. Henry II didn't really do anything or did he? But Beckett's murder, like shockwaves this is terrible this is outright murder in the sanctuary of god yeah and no one really believes henry's like ordered hey i really need you to kill thomas beckett but the end result of whatever henry does still has a I, dead priest in the sanctuary yeah i
1: i question whether cuz this would have like where did people gather in this time at church so, I'm sure every parish priest had thoughts that were shared widely in the communities.
0: It's a lot. It's, it's a lot. It's shocking. Mm-hmm. People are mad. And instead of Sir Thomas Beckett getting out of the way and making Henry's life easier, that does not happen. No. Because now Sir Thomas Beckett is held up as this great martyr so, yeah, of the church. Sure. <laughs> we just forget about the mice in his underpants. <laughs> The result of this, Henry II will be excommunicated (laughs) and begin a very public apology campaign. Wow. He will just kind of ride around the country to be publicly lashed. He will fast. He'll do penance. Oh, yeah. Wow. Don't call it a comeback. He, Henry has to work really hard to come back from the murder of Thomas Beckett. Yeah. It is ruins his reputation globally for a long long time the public apology tour takes a while and eleanor meanwhile court of love and Aquitaine, <laughs> <Right. laughs> having a much different time in he's like henry i am so tired of you not listening to me again i told you this was going to be a terrible idea I know that I've been out of your world for a number of years, but quite frankly, I like it this way. I like running my own court. I like changing my focus. And, Henry, I'm going to go ahead and let you know that I am way more concerned about lining up power to prepare our sons who are coming and growing older by the day. And also, they're getting angrier, too, by the day, and I'm going to help foster that. I know that you've given them the titles, but... They're going to look to have power within their dominion soon, and I'm going to help them do that because, Henry, I'm over it. Eleanor has learned from previous generations. Lots of lessons, lots of repetitions. So here we have this brewing situation. Henry publicly apologizing. Eleanor growing her power base, and things are going pretty well until the Great Revolt of 1173. That's the Great Revolt with a capital G and a capital R. This trashy bit of the story is that in 1173, Eleanor finds out about the secret affair that yeah. Henry has been having with the fair Rosamond now for, for eight years. years. Okay, yeah. And Eleanor of Aquitaine is about to release her new album called Lemonade. Just kidding. But it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> Anger doesn't even begin to cover it. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of legends and myths and stories through time about all the ways that this goes down. In one of them, Eleanor goes to confront Rosamond at Woodstock. And Rosamond runs into the garden maze and gets her dress caught. And Eleanor catches up. And Eleanor says to Rosamond, Do you want to die by poison or do I put this dagger in your heart? Rosamund chooses poison in this tale. No, this is, I mean, none of this actually happened, okay? Right. But the legend of this is really exciting. So then this other way it goes down is that maybe Rosamund was dragged into Eleanor's court and mocked. Rosamund then flees to a nunnery and dies. Rosamund's fate has fascinated writers for centuries. The tale of fair Rosamund. Eleanor doesn't really have anything to do with Rosamond is going to go to a convent and die in 1176 or something. Eleanor doesn't kill her, but it's real easy for people to jump to that assumption sure. that Eleanor is out for power. Eleanor is out for blood. Well, I mean, I'd be mad too. Sure. You carried on a secret affair oh, yeah. for eight years, but this great revolt causes the secret affair that Henry's been having to come out into the open. Everything is about to shake down. 1173, it's all going bad. But Eleanor has now been eh, seven years building up a power base to back her sons for power. And Eleanor is about power and ambition. And maybe she's just tired of not being able to use her political brain, but Eleanor has no fear. She's going to get Henry the Young This is her oldest son who's still alive. He's crowned as heir, right? But Mm -hmm. Eleanor has other sons, and they're growing up. And Eleanor is really pushing, I would like my sons to actually have some power. Give the younger kids something to do, Mm -hmm. as opposed to just name only Henry. And Henry doesn't want to give up any of his power, as Henry knows that their children are Eleanor's greatest asset, and Eleanor knows it too. Eleanor actively participates in setting the whole revolt up. Sons are going to revolt against their father. Eleanor needs to get out of town because it's gotten pretty hot for her. So, in the spring of 1173, Eleanor flees Aquitaine. Where does she go? Back to Paris oh, to no. her former husband Louis the 7th just to give her a little bit of safety. Friends with all my exes. I mean, okay. Eleanor might need a little cover. Her sons are going against her husband in rebellion. Like, this is an easy trope. We have seen sons go against fathers a bunch. This has happened 30 times now in England up to this point. But here's the twist. Eleanor's sons are allying with her ex-husband, Louis VII, to take down Henry II. This is just a little too much on the family dynamics. This is a wife openly rebelling against her husband, a queen openly rebelling against her king. Gone back to the ex. brought all my sons with me so we can vanquish the king we got over here. This is... My current husband. (laughs) Unbelievable, right? This time, it doesn't go great. Long story short... Eleanor is like, go big or go home. These are my kids. We're doing this. She's well, unfazed.
1: And at this point, Henry II has been excommunicated by the church, and Louis VII was deeply pious, right? Kind of a monk, I yeah. think is how you described him.
0: No, there's so much happening with these okay. players in so, the background. Yeah, a lot of, lot of ways to push the levers here. Eleanor's ready to do this thing. She rides north to participate in battle, but Eleanor's captured in the fall of 1174. Disguised as a man. That's how she's getting around. Eleanor's sons are also captured by Henry II. Everybody's captured. This 1174 Great Revolt doesn't go great. A few other things happen here. Henry II, the apology tour has worked. He also vanquishes an attack from Scotland that's happening at this time that his sons are fighting him. So Henry II wins. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Don't call it a comeback. He's been here for years, but he really hasn't since the murder of Thomas Beckett. So it is a comeback for Henry II. His international reputation has been restored, or at least better than it's been. And now Henry II has captured his wife who dared go against him and all of his sons who dared go against him. Will the punishment fit the crime? Well, maybe. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe not. This is terrible. Henry is like, Aw, oh, sons. I appreciate you putting up a good rebellion. That was a good fight. Come here, boys. Let me give you some love and hugs and castles and land. I'm going to give you a general amnesty. Because boys will be boys. That's what boys do. Kids, I love you. Let's go in and have some mulled wine and talk about that time where you tried to defeat your dad in battle. Good try, buddy. Better luck next time. I'm guessing
1: that um, he does not have the same opinion of the proper conduct of a wife. Nope.
0: Nobody, nope 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 <laughs> Eleanor is persecuted. She is vilified. She's written about. She is a threat to the very fabric of society. She will cause general ruin. Henry... Where he embraces his sons, gives them general amnesty, castles, lands, riches, treasures, good old slap on the back. No, Eleanor is going to spend the next 16 years locked in confinement. Hmm. Why 16 years? What's arbitrary about that? Eleanor is a prisoner of her husband, Henry II, in some place or another in England, From 1174 until his death in 1189. When her sons free her. (laughs) This is bitter betrayal for Mm, Henry. Sure. Eleanor in captivity. She is allowed very minimum contact with her children. But England, nobody's really worried about Eleanor locked up. Her behavior was so outside the norm. All of it. You're a woman. You can't go against your man. What is wrong with you? It's easy to make Eleanor the villain, woman yeah. to blame mm-hmm. in this situation, but Eleanor doesn't really have Margaritaville going on. Eleanor's locked up for the next 16 years, and during this time, guess what? All the civil wars continue, but who do we blame for all of this civil rest and continuing wars and bad times through England? I'm guessing Eleanor of Aquitaine. It's totally Eleanor's fault who has nothing to do with it, she's locked away. She is abandoned queen in a tower, who, again, uh, <sighs> kept hidden. She's in hidden locations for like a full decade. She's not living in squalor. She has clothes and she has food, but all access that Eleanor has ever thought about having is completely cut off because Henry found out what happened when Eleanor had access last time. She's under control. Over the years, Eleanor becomes more under control to Henry. So Henry will begin eh, to bring Eleanor out occasionally. Like if there's a political advantage, he'd take Eleanor out, dust her off, prop her up, and then, you know, lock her back away. Sounds awesome. Eleanor, through time, though, acquiesces. She shows herself to be a little bit more willing to play this game over time. Her allowances are increased. But after a decade of Eleanor being gone, she's still to blame. But people are starting to ask, like, what have you done with her, Henry? Like, do you remember that you have a a queen, a wife? Where is Shelley Miscavige? We want to know. (laughs) So all of this is happening, it's, by the time we get to the 1180s, Henry has some relative peace, his sons are behaving, sort of, and Eleanor is locked up, no threat to him, but come on, (laughs) Eleanor's sons, you know they're going to be up to something. And Henry the Young, he's making his move with, you know, his brothers behind him here in the early 1180s, and things are about to shift again. What happens next? We're coming back to reveal it all. And a little bit of Catherine Hepburn, too, after a quick break. Enter the early 1180s. Civil unrest happening again. And here, Henry the Young King, who's older now, <laughs> is going to be like, mm, I'm not going to mess around with Daddy-O, but I am going to invade my brother Richard's territory. Okay, This is future Richard the Lionheart. Oh. Richard has Aquitaine. And in 1182, Henry the Younger is like, "Mm, I'm going to take Richard's territory, grab that, and then I'll have a bigger base to go after Papa King Henry II. There are battles in this period that are super interesting, but the thing you want (gasps) to know is that in June 1183, Henry the Young King dies. He's 28 years old. Oh. Yeah. So a little succession crisis they just keep losing their heirs, don't they? Right, but Henry the Young has been co crowned yeah. now for 15 years. He's 28. He knows how to run a country, but oh no, Henry the Younger, co king, dead, out. And Henry the Second is overcome with grief, even though all Henry the Young has done since he's been a teenager is be a pill in the side of Henry. Sure. Henry's still. <gasps> Ugh, sad about losing his son. This death is shocking. It wasn't a drunken boating incident, was it? I think it might have been another arrow. Mysterious arrow. I'm not exactly sure. Less important. The important thing is Henry the Young is out. And Henry's overcome with grief. And Eleanor's overcome with grief. And here, maybe Henry softens a bit. Eleanor gets a little bit more freedom. She's returned to court but they are not reunited in love by any stretch of the imagination. But now the remaining sons (laughs) are all going to do a bit more jockeying. Mm -hmm. The events of what happens next in this story are probably best remembered in our collective current imaginations, represented best by the 1968 film The Lion in Winter, which explores this year exactly. 1183 for our royal family. Henry II is played by Peter O'Toole. Eleanor of Aquitaine is played by Catherine Hepburn. Anthony Hopkins also pops up in this film. This next bit is from Kevin Hagapian from Penn State University. This is from the Albany EDU site. These are film notes <laughs> prepared for the New York State Writers Institute. Kevin Jack Hagopian is the Senior Lecturer in Media Studies at Pennsylvania State University. A lot of this is about Katherine Hepburn, but there's a lot of this about Eleanor, and I think it's just such a beautiful blend. If I can have you think about Eleanor in any particular way in 1183, it is like this. Okay, the title of James Goldman's play, The Lion in Winter, was meant to refer to Henry II. But when the play was adapted for the screen in 1968, the designation better referred to Katherine Hepburn, its redoubtable star. She would have preferred the term lion rather than the conventional feminine, diminutive lioness. For by 1968, at age 60, her reputation as a fighter was secure. She had fought for everything, for votes for women as a girl, for victory on the playing fields as a sportswoman in her adolescence, for good acting parts on the stage and screen throughout her life, for liberal political causes in the 1940s, and finally, for the love of her only real partner in life, Spencer Tracy. But Spence had died the year before, just after filming a scene in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which included a declaration of love for Hepburn who played his on-screen wife of many years. It remains one of the cinema's most honestly felt speeches, and it brought heartbreak to those who knew it was no act. And now it was Hepburn's time to go on alone, after years spent nursing and comforting the mercurial alcoholic Tracy. The first part she chose was perhaps the most emotionally demanding she ever committed herself to. The play is the story of Eleanor of Aquitaine, estranged wife of Henry II of England, who in 1183 is brought home from prison to celebrate another kind of imprisonment. A miserable Christmas with her husband and sons, all four locked in a struggle over the succession to the throne that each knows may precipitate the judicious killing of any of the losers. Complicated. No, this is such a great description about Mm. this movie in this time. Listen to this next bit. Which will prove stronger, the group's family ties, weakened by years of intrigue, or the murderous political realities of succession? Which will rule, hot blood or cold? During the course of the play, Eleanor sees that it is only she who commands both domains. She blossoms into an articulate, deadly monolith of mother love. Isn't that great? Deadly monolith of mother love. Colliding with the children and then with Henry in a desperate, brilliant attempt to refashion her family at the moment of its dissolution. This is a clan in which love works like cancer, ravaging its host and making it unrecognizable before it kills. Hmm. I don't know if I've ever heard a better description. Like, that is just gorgeous.
1: Yeah, I've not seen A Lion in Winter, and, and now I kind of want to. I
0: haven't in many years, but after reading that, I want to watch it again, too. Catherine Hepburn told her friend A. Scott Berg many years later, what was fascinating about the play was its modernness. This wasn't about pomp and circumstance, but about a family, a wife trying to protect her dignity and a mother protecting her children. And I think that's what I want you to get about Eleanor. We're almost wrapped up with the story, but a mother protecting her children is Eleanor. That is what's coming in Eleanor's story back to this piece, her role was tough to the point of cruelty. A royal mother who understood her sons primarily in terms of state politics and saw her husband as a competitor in those political struggles, never a companion. Hepburn had final say in who would direct the film. In the wake of her Oscar for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Her choice would have been limited only to directors currently living in the solar system. (laughs) She chose Anthony Harvey. Harvey had directed Dutchmen, an independent film based on Amiri Baraka's play about a violent, radical confrontation in a New York subway car. Hepburn had found Dutchmen absolutely riveting. It grabbed you by the throat. Not that glossy old MGM stuff, but cold people living in cold castles. In the wake of Tracy's death, Hepburn sheltered her sorrow in Yankee austerity, seeking out a film that expressed the very antithesis of sentimentality. The film's glowering skies and mildewing castles offered a powerful allegory for the equally frozen places in the heart of Eleanor of Aquitaine. The film was location shot in an abbey town in the south of France. A young Anthony Hopkins, then working in his first feature film, remembered Hepburn as professional and passionate as a performer and compassionate and giving as a person. Hepburn's director, Anthony Harvey, found Hepburn absolutely loyal to him in disputes with the front office. He repaid that loyalty with the friendship that lasted the rest of Hepburn's life. Peter O'Toole, a legendary drinker, was his usual wild and ungovernable self, except around Hepburn, whose respect for his performing style and patience with his personal style lacked all irony. This film's story about the end of Allegiance, ironically inspired, in all who worked with Hepburn, a fondness that would last until the end. Hepburn would win her third Oscar for the part, her second, in a row. And the film would commence, not her winter, but an Indian summer of film and television acting that would take her into her ninth decade. Hepburn was an ambitious and sometimes selfish woman. We require all great artists to be in some measure. But these qualities never existed in her, in the pathological form they took in Eleanor of Aquitaine, The Lion in Winter is one of Hepburn's greatest turns, the scheming, underhanded queen, a deeply unsympathetic character who somehow manages to enlist our hope in her behalf. As the film concludes, Harvey's masterful last shot invites us to reconsider this heartless seeming character, and to respect her skill in the same instant as we come against our will to admire the completely personal way she has expressed her love for her children. If, as was often claimed by her detractors, Hepburn was only playing herself, then (laughs) it was a self of extraordinary variety. In this rich portrayal of love, hurtling toward its own destruction, Hepburn, childless in her own life, gives us a vision of maternal love that is exactly as paradoxical as Hepburn herself. Hmm. Thank you for letting me travel (coughs) down that path. Catherine Hepburn's performance in this role I think is such a it, it should be our perception of Eleanor a monolith of mother love. That is what's coming in Eleanor's story. She is a fierce mother type. The line in winter is often shown through the holiday season, so if I was you get a chance to watch it. I was gonna say if you're looking for something
1: to watch on the holiday weekend.
0: I may be joining you in watching that. Yeah, spend a little bit of time, if you can, with Catherine Hepburn and her portrayal of Eleanor of Aquitaine. Here's the thing. Eleanor is only going to get fiercer. Remember, she's in captivity for 16 years until finally, blessedly, in 1189, Henry II passes away. (laughs) Richard, now Richard the Lionheart, because you got to love those naming conventions... Eleanor's son, Richard the Lionheart becomes king. This is Eleanor's son. The first thing he does is send word for Eleanor to be released. Job number one, get my mom yeah. out of captivity. Eleanor of Aquitaine is now Dowager Queen of England with so many kids, sons and daughters too, and so much drama is coming up for Eleanor as the mother of dynasties, the first grandmother of Europe. Save the drama for your mama. All those kids did for <laughs> Eleanor. That one is coming for you next week on Trashy Broils. When we conclude Eleanor's arc and begin the fruit of her womb sure. stories. So to speak. Well, that went in directions i didn't <laughs>
1: expect i mean their marriage seems to have started quite happily oh they
0: were really a love match took a turn oh yeah kids illicit <laughs> affairs murders and high holy houses oh yeah yeah there was a oh, revenge alliances battles great revolts mm-hmm. eleanor's story really does have everything if you were looking for a 12th century roller coaster ride yeah and again monolith of mother love. Eleanor is coming back. She's going to make it happen for her kids. She's going to found dynasties. I can't even wait to be back next week. Thank y'all one and all for joining us today for this week's Royal Ride. We really appreciate you spending your time with us and for all the ways you support the pod. Absolutely. Your ratings and reviews, your nice emails, and the love you show for us over at patreon.com slash Podcast. Never fear. We are here. We're on the case. We're on the trashy case for you. God. the story, I just love it so much. Wishing y'all all all the very best week. Thanks again for joining us. Hope to see you back next week. Mm -hmm. Until then, don't take your eyes off the throne because it's going to change a whole bunch. Keep your eye on it.
1: Watch out for arrows. Arrows seem bad (laughs) to me. Big love, everybody. Thanks again. See you next week. Bye. Bye.